Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And if this is one of those sermons, I feel like that if someone said, how long did it take you to prepare for this? And it's, it's one of those that you say, I think my whole life the Lord's been cultivating these truths some of these truths in my heart, and the Lord took me on my sabbatical last summer when my desire, my aim for my sabbatical was that I want to, in this time, know what it feels like. Lord, I want to, to be three things. I want to be humble. I want to know what it means to be present, and I want to know what it means to be loved, to know the reality of being loved, and the Lord kept me in Psalm 90 for a lot of that sabbatical and I'll just read it for us, and then we'll jump right in. It says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like gr grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and will fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would do just this, Lord, that in the midst of a busy world and busy ministries, Lord, busy churches, Lord, even more so in, in the midst of our busy hearts, Lord, we need to hear the voice of Jesus. We need to hear the clear voice of Jesus. We need to see Jesus and be satisfied by Jesus. And so my prayer this morning, Lord, as we zone, zoom in on verse 14, that you would satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the most uh, dangerous and deadliest animal in the entire, in the entire world might surprise you. It surprised me as I looked it up on the trustworthy internet this week. You know, you can find it all there. 
Googling about the internet and finding this stuff. The most dangerous animals in the world. I was thinking to myself when I looked that up, it'll probably be the cobra or maybe the hippo or the lion or the grizzly bear. That's, that's kind of what was coming to my mind. That's what I was most scared of. I'm not a snake guy, I'll just be honest. But some of the most deadly, the things that kill us the, the most were the most small and significant. These were in the top 10 deadliest animals or insects in the world. The tapeworm, the Ascaris roundworm, the Setsi fly, the assassin bug. Now that sounds scary. That's, that's serious right there. The freshwater snail. I don't even know what that can do to me. The, the mosquito. Amen? Amen, Tim? So imagine... It, if you were out like in the middle of the bush, out in the middle of the African plain, while you were watching out for maybe a ferocious lion or a tiger, the greatest, most dangerous enemy could be sitting on your neck and you don't even know it. Well, one of the most dangerous, most deadly people in the church today might not be the prosperity preacher it's on the TBN channel of your members' homes. It might not be the angry blogger on Twitter that wants to tell us all their opinions. It might not even be the most frustrated, discontent church member that you get a text from every week. No, one of the most dangerous people in the church today is the insecure pastor. An insecure pastor who doesn't know what he's called to be doing, an insecure secure leader in a ministry who doesn't know who he's supposed to be, who lacks his true identity, most importantly, an insecure leader who doesn't know whose he is, who he belongs to. Well, this is, to be honest, who I was, where I lived for a lot of the early times at Christ Fellowship, a lot of the early days. A large part of my Christian life has lived here. I was a pastor of a local church who could stand up here and talk a lot about Jesus, but acting like I'm totally have no safety, no security, no refuge, totally crippled by my insecurities. Early on, I, I, I had a couple idols that showed themselves quite often. Maybe you have these idols too. The idols of performance and idols of productivity. So every week, my, my worth was wrapped up in my performance of what I was doing in any given week, how well the sermon went on Sunday, the response to the sermon by people by the door on Sunday, the, the people that came back or didn't come back the next Sunday, conversations with people throughout the week, how did they go? Really, at the heart of it, was I being light? Or my worth was wrapped up in my productivity in any given week. How many books was I reading? How many times had I shared the gospel? How many people was I discipling? How many people were there on Sunday? My worth was wrapped up in my performance, my productivity. My worth was found in me, which is a scary place to put your worth in ministry. Looking at yourself, grading yourself. I, I lived in a constant state of proving myself 
in a constant state of performance anxiety. I've, I've told my, the, the church before, I've said every second of my life there were moments where I felt like I was letting someone down somewhere. You ever felt that way? Every second of my life, I'm, I'm letting someone down somewhere. I, I could have been meeting with a young brother for discipleship, but who was I not meeting with? Who had I not contacted? I could even be in the morning before God's word and thinking, what, what visitor needs to be reached out that was there on Sunday? Think about how sad that was. I'm before the living God receiving God's love and his grace from his word, and yet, who am I not texting? I, I, remember, being on, I remember being on the beach in Florida with my family and feeling like there's someone I'm probably disappointed. I'm disappointing right now in Bowling Green. I'm on vacation. I'm supposed to unplug. I'm supposed to rest. But, but who am I disappointing? Who am I letting down? Are you there this morning? Do you find yourself there in your own ministry? Does that sound familiar in your own heart right now if the Lord would search your heart? And by the grace of God, I feel like over the last five years, the Lord's been stripping away this insecurity, this performance anxiety. And it's not by building up my self-confidence. It's not by the Lord opening God's word and, and the Lord says, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and people love you, Lance. But no, it's not building up my self-confidence, but it's him building up my Christ confidence. Building up Christ confidence, not my, by me getting better at ministry or improving the quality of my performance or finding the tools or the tricks to make me more productive, but the Lord is satisfying me with himself. Resting not in my incomplete work, but in the finished work of Jesus. Who lived a perfect life that I could never live. Who performed perfectly, which I could never do. Who went to a cross to bear all my sins and my shortcomings and my insufficiency to be forever enough for me. And so that's what I'm praying for us this morning today at the Treasure in Christ conference, that the Lord would help all of us do just that. To treasure Jesus above all, more than fruitful ministry, more than being liked. Lord, satisfy us, not with our enoughness, but with the enoughness of Jesus. Not with our sufficiency, because that'll never be enough, but the all-sufficiency of Jesus. And one of the ways I said earlier that the Lord's done this is through Psalm 90. It's the, the psalm is the oldest psalm in the Psalter because it's written from the hand of Moses. And Moses would have written this psalm probably in the later days of the latter days of the wilderness. A place, if you think about when, when you put your mind on the wilderness, the desert, the desolate areas, in my mind goes insecurity. Is there a refuge? Is there safety? Is there security. The, the wilderness where some scholars say probably 15,000 adults were dying yearly. So death all around Moses. Not very safe. The, the place where people were groaning and complaining to the God who delivered them because they didn't have enough water. They didn't have enough food. Complaining because they needed help 
from the Lord. The place where they were constantly on the move. There was no place of rest yet. Talk about insecurity and restlessness. A longing for safety and security. Yet this is how Moses starts Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Despite the people looking like the most unstable, insecure people in the world, despite their lives not just looking desolate like the wilderness, but feeling like a desert wilderness, the most secure people in the world are those who have found their dwelling place in the Lord. Those who have taken up residence in Yahweh. He's the safest and most secure place in the universe. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the saints dwell in their God and have always done so in all ages. This is the gospel reality for you and me if we are found in the Lord today. If you're truly saved by grace and grace alone, you have been hidden in Christ Jesus. I have now changed my primary place of residence. I have been moved to a new zip code hidden in Christ Jesus. And it's the most secure place in the universe. It's the most safe place for any sinner or any pastor or any leader. Not in yourself, but in your sins being forgiven and being covered in the righteousness of Christ and taking shelter in Jesus forever. Now the truth is, for me and I know for you, is that we need a daily drip of that truth. I need an IV of the gospel of grace every day. To be dripping the good news of what Christ has done for me. Who I am. Every single day. Because I suffer from gospel amnesia. I'm constantly forgetting the good news of Jesus. Forgetting that my primary place of residence. My primary place that I find safety and security. Is not in me. And not in my performance. And not in my church. Not in my family. But it's in Jesus. It's in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Moses prays for here. You think about all of Psalm 90. In the midst of this sobering psalm about the fragility of humanity, in light of the everlasting God who's everlasting. In the midst of this sobering reminder that that our days are few. For every single one of us in here, our days are few. No matter if you're 20 here today or you're 80 here today, your days are coming to an end. And Paul, and Moses prays this in verse 14. In the midst of this sober reality, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. What a gift it would be for our ministries. What a gift it would be for our churches. What a gift it would be for our families and and for our own hearts. If we in this room would be sober-minded leaders like Moses, who were, whose hearts were satisfied in the steadfast love of Jesus. That's what I want us to think about this morning. 
That's why we're starting here this morning, praying together as we listen this morning. And daily praying, praying this, right? Remind us of this reality. Remind us of the enoughness of Jesus. Remind us that our primary residence is in Jesus Christ. And that we would pray this morning and every morning as we rise. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So let me just say a couple things about this passage as we look at this verse 14. The prayer begins with these words, satisfy us. Satisfy us. The first words that you're asking of God in prayer is, Lord, be enough for us. Be enough for us. We're asking the Lord to be kind enough, to be gracious enough, to satisfy us with himself. And now if you're going to ask someone or something to satisfy you, you better hope it can. Like that's a big ask, right? So if you're going to ask somebody to do that, to satisfy you, you better hope they can. And and there's nothing else in your life, life that you can ask to satisfy you like you can ask Jesus to satisfy you. I don't care who it is. I don't care what it is. Your church, your ministry will never be enough for you. No matter how many people come on Sunday. No matter how many people go to camp with you. Whatever happens, your church, your ministry cannot be enough for you. Your spouse, your wife can never be enough. She was never supposed to be your enoughness, so you might want to lower your expectations there. Your kids will never be enough to satisfy you, no matter how well they perform or how they act. Your sins, your lust, the porn, the praise, the the money, the food, none of this can satisfy you, even though it lies to you and promises that it can satisfy you. It will never satisfy you. Yet we turn to Jesus, the true manna. And he says without hesitation in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says to your heart today, I alone can satisfy you and I will satisfy you with myself. I alone can satisfy you, and I will satisfy you with myself. And so we need to be praying this. Every single, if you're still making that prayer list, here's something at the top. In the morning, when you begin, Lord, satisfy me with your enoughness. Satisfy me. And believing he can, and trusting that he alone can satisfy me. And believing he wants to satisfy me. Primarily, we, we do this by every day. Laying ourselves before the truth of this word. Laying ourselves before the truth of the gospel, as my, my friend Jordan Thomas says, to take a gospel bath. To be alone with him. To be satisfied with him. Listen, this should be the first and primary task of every day. The most important thing you do is not preach, not go to the hospital, not visit, not plan, not lead a Bible study, 
not have great conversations at the coffee shop. Your primary goal is to be satisfied. To be satisfied in Jesus. Spurgeon again says it this way, my soul, my soul never be satisfied within a shadowy Christ. I cannot know Christ through another person's brains. I cannot love him with another man's heart. And I cannot see him with another man's eyes. I am so afraid of living in a second-hand religion. God forbid that I should get a biographical experience. Lord, save us from having borrowed communion. No, I must know him myself. Oh God, let me not be deceived in this. I must not know him without fancy or proxy. I must know him on my own account. Lord, satisfy us with yourself. And then he adds this, satisfy us in the morning. The heart of Moses, I think, surely has in his mind this daily manna that they would go out together each day. The bread from heaven that the people of God would gather every single morning, that they would receive as a gift from the Lord every single day, twice on Friday for the Sabbath. And, and this is a picture of not only that Jesus is the one that satisfies us daily, but he's the one that sustains us daily. Heaven forbid, forbid, brothers, that we try to be sustained by old manna, by, by yesterday's meal, by truths about Jesus we heard 10 years ago or 20 years ago. In the same way that manna would go bad if they tried to hold on to it and keep it. We need Jesus daily. We need to wake up to, together more of Christ every single day. We need daily manna. And when I say that, yes, we need Jesus to save us. Save us from our sins. But we need Jesus to satisfy us and sustain us today just as much as we need him to save us. Like that's a conviction for us as a church at Christ Fellowship, that we are as desperate for Jesus today as we were the day we first believed. We need Jesus to sustain us just as much as we needed him to save us. We need more and more of Christ. George Mueller said it this way, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. First thing in the morning, Lord, make my soul happy in you. Let me just say this for bonus. I don't think we need this just every single morning, but I think this is a good rhythm to have a day each week, a Sabbath each week where you get alone to just think about the Lord, rest in the Lord. Not the Sabbath as, as a law to earn God's love, but the Sabbath as a gift to experience God's love. Jesus said this himself. He said, the Sabbath wasn't made for man. It's not a law you're supposed to keep. No, it was, it was made for, for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a gift for you. This is a weekly gift where you get to stop striving. Quit all you're doing and, and just be, be with Jesus. Psalm 92 says something like this. At the very beginning of Psalm 92, if you just turn over one page, 
Look at, notice it says a song for the Sabbath. A song for the Sabbath. And it says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. And it says this, for you, O Lord, have made me glad in my work. No. At the work of my hands, I will sing for joy. No. But no, the psalmist pauses on the Sabbath, not to rejoice in all that he has done, but to rejoice in all that God has done. To rejoice in the ridiculous work of God and Jesus. So on that day when you slow down, when you stop, and you've thought about all you've tried to do or haven't done, or how much you have done, instead of being impressed or depressed on how much you've done or how little you've done, why don't you just stop to be impressed with Jesus and do it every morning and do it every week to be impressed with Jesus and all that he has done for you in your place. He says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It's that covenant Love, the, the covenant-keeping love of God. The Jesus Storybook Bible says it this way. It's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's what, that's what we're going to meditate on in the morning. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's God's, God's people being satisfied, not by our great accomplishments, not by our great productivity, our performance, not by our, our steadfastness. Listen, not even by our love. We're not pausing just to express how much we love him, but to just be bathed in how much he has done for us. He's loved us richly in Jesus. Your steadfast love. I don't think I can call myself my, my steadfast love, but his love is unceasing. It's steadfast. Lamentations 3 says it this way. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Never takes a day off. There's not a, a millisecond of pause in the steadfast love of the Lord. His mercies never come to an end. They are new Every morning, talking about, talk about manna, right? The love of Christ in the morning for, for me. Not deserved, but grace. Or in Psalm 59, David says confidently this. My God, in his steadfast love, will meet me. He's in a hard place, but he says, my God, in his steadfast love, will meet me. He's talking about the future. So what... What David's saying is that you can bank your life upon it, that if it's tomorrow morning, or it's next Monday morning, or it's sometime this summer on sabbatical in the morning, or it's a decade from now, or on your deathbed, in that morning, wherever you, you go, wherever you find yourself, my God in his steadfast love will be there to meet me. My God in his steadfast love will be there to meet me. 
We need this every single morning. To be satisfied with his love. Sustained by his, our Savior. To, to get a fresh glimpse of the glory of Calvary and what Christ did for us. Bearing the wrath in our place. Dying a death we deserve to die. And rising victoriously. Covering us in the righteousness of Christ. Seated at the right hand of God. Interceding on behalf. Loving us presently right now as we hear this. Being sustained by our Savior. I remember early in ministry, maybe you've felt this way, just feeling the rat race of self-righteousness. The rat race of productivity and performance, of doing more and trying harder. And in my mind, this is how I saw it. If I would just do more, then maybe he would accept me. If I would just try a little harder, maybe he would approve of me. He would, I would hear the well done. If, if I would just perform better, maybe he'll love me more. But the truth of the gospel is that God loves me not because of me. He loves me because of Jesus. He loves me because of his son. Who lived in my place and died and rose again. And this will always be the case on my best days or on my worst days. Today, wherever, you're, wherever your heart is right now, today or years from now or 10 trillion years from now, your steadfast love, Lord, satisfy us with your steadfast love. So, so let me ask you a question this morning. Do you live like you're loved from the moment that you wake up ridiculously by Christ? Or do you live like you're getting a final grade when you lay your head down at night? Do you live like you're loved from the moment you wake up? Or do you live like you're getting a final grade? You're going to be graded at the end of the day when you lay your head down. Because sometimes, let me just be honest. He said in verse 6, in the morning it flourishes and it's renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. That, I mean, that sounds like my life. He's talking about your whole life there. But I mean, that sounds like my days, right? Withering, fading away. And sometimes in the middle, at night, I have to look back on my day and say, Lord, this morning your love was enough. And tonight, your love's enough. It's not what I did to earn your acceptance. It's not what I did to earn your approval. It's not what I did to make you love me more. But Lord, I'm as loved today in Christ as I will be 10 trillion years from now in Christ. And it's because of Christ. Not only do we need this though, but brothers, our people need this too. Our people need leaders who are going into the world knowing that they're loved, not looking for love. Because if we go into, the, into our day looking for love, people will disappoint us and we will crush people. Because they can't bear that burden, right? People will disappoint us and we will crush people. But if we go into our day knowing that we are loved, that, that we don't need anything from them. We've been loved. Now we can give love. We get to lavish love on God's people. 
just like God lavished his love on us through Jesus. So another question, let me ask you, what, what sustains you in ministry, being liked by people or being loved by God? What sustains you in ministry, being liked by people or being loved by God? Because I can tell you there's years of my ministry where it was being liked by people. And people couldn't bear that burden. And people disappointed me, and I disappointed people. But when we, as God's people, know we're ridiculously loved by Christ, then everybody gets loved out of the overflow of what we're receiving from Jesus. Lastly, he says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. You know, I truly believe in the church today that that's the secret weapon of ministry. It's a secret weapon for the church today. Really for not just ministry, but just any Christian in our churches, any Christians in our ministries. It's, the, it's joy in Christ, rejoicing and be glad in Jesus. What the world needs right now is God's people being satisfied in Jesus, and it's noticeable. And it can't be missed. Like it turns your head. You have to see out of the corner of your eye, where's the gladness coming from? Where's the joy coming from? You can't miss the truth that Jesus is all satisfying because the evidence is in the joy. We need that, that kind of ministry, that kind of church. Is that kind of hearts from us in this room? Remember Psalm 126. It's probably a familiar psalm, but it says this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then we had to go tell people about the joy that they... We, no, it doesn't say that. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then the nations started talking. The nations were saying among themselves, you know what? The Lord has done great things for them. The pagan don't know him, don't care about that God. The, the Lord, the Lord Yahweh has done great things for them. The nations cannot miss the joy of the church being restored to Jesus. It's, it's the laughter of the loved. The laughter of the loved that you can't miss. You have to hear. You have to see those who've been rescued by Jesus, rejoicing in Jesus all our days, and it can't be missed. Your, your neighbors have to take notice of that. And, and your children have to take notice of that. We need more joy in some of our homes, right? The all-satisfying joy in Jesus that our kids can't miss when they wake up because we've been early with Jesus, getting happy in the Lord. What's dad so happy about? With the, we got some bagels from Panera this morning? No, he's been with Jesus. Our families have to notice it. Our friends will notice. The nations, the nations will not miss a church rejoicing. In Jesus. You know, they don't notice the, joy, the jabs that we throw at one another on Twitter. They don't notice us being right. 
They don't notice us being frustrated or winning an argument. What can't be missed is the joy of rejoicing in Jesus. And we need more of it. We need to be characterized. What if 20 churches and ministries here today saw a glimpse of Jesus, were treasuring Jesus, and this place was filled with laughter and joy, and our churches can't miss it in the days ahead? That's something worth praying for, brothers and sisters. The truth is, Jesus, the truth is, is that Jesus would love nothing more than to answer verse 14 for us this morning. He would love nothing more than every single morning we wake up to to answer the prayer, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we might rejoice and be glad all our day, Jesus. Would you do that for me, Jesus? And the reason he would answer it is because when we as God's people get joy in the all-satisfying Savior, he gets all the glory. He gets all the attention. attention. Because when people have to look, when they have to notice, when they have to turn their heads, once they see us, they'll have to look up and see where the joy is coming from. They too will want to see Jesus. You know, the last five years, not only have I tried to be more intentional to be alone with Jesus every moment, to be alone with Jesus in the morning, to be spending a day where I'm unplugging to be with Jesus, but I've spent a lot more time in cemeteries. I don't know if that's like a midlife crisis. Anybody else do that when they started getting 40? You just ran and walked in the cemetery like a weird person? Yeah. Well, that's me. Sometimes I, the elders here, I probably just like send pictures of, uh, of like of, uh, tombstones. They're like, what is Lance doing? He's lost his mind. We need to go look for him. But it's a lot like when you're in a cemetery, it's a lot like spending time in Psalm 90. Spending time thinking about life. Sobering your mind to the fragility of our lives and the shortness of our days in light of the everlasting God. It's, it's sobering. Because when I walk in a cemetery, I realize, I realize, listen, that I know nothing about anybody in there. Like I don't know anything about anybody in there. I know nothing about their great performances. Nothing about their productivity. Nothing about their accomplishments. It's a sobering reality that I know nobody's name and that one day when I'm here, nobody will know my name or remember my name either. In fact, Matt McCullough's great book, Remembering Death, if you haven't read it, he says the reality stuck out to him one day that his son's grandchildren will probably not know his first name. Think about that. My son's grandchildren probably won't know my first name. What was his name again? That's so sobering. One day, my grave and your grave will be a final resting place to all our accomplishments. A resting place for all our striving. resting place for us trying to be remembered, wanting to be known. A resting place for wanting to be applauded. A resting place for all our performance, all our productivity, all our trying to be enough. But in that day, we will be 
resting like we are today in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The it is finished of Jesus. The all-satisfying love of Jesus who filled us with joy and whose name is still the name above every other name. The name that every tribe, tongue, and nation will say, worthy is the Lamb to receive all the glory and all the power, all the honor, all the blessing. And that on that day and today, Jesus on that day will be more than enough to satisfy us today and for all eternity. So let's pray together. Let's pray verse 14 together. Lord, satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love. Not our productivity, not our performance. Lord, satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love. Steadfast love that we see clearly and most gloriously, Lord, at the cross of Jesus Christ. Who lived that perfect life that we could never live. Who was perfectly productive by achieving perfect righteousness. And who died on the cross bearing the weight of our sins. Bearing our wrath and rising again that we might be set free from our sins. That we might be free from our self-righteousness. That we might be free from our trying so hard to earn your love. And free to rest in the enoughness of Jesus. Lord, to be saved by Jesus, but to be satisfied and sustained by Jesus for the rest of our days. So Lord, satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love in Jesus that we might rejoice and be glad all our days and that people can't help but see it so that Christ will get more glory and the nations will get more joy. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.